Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, good morning. Oh, that's not good, is it? Good morning. Is that better? Great. Good to see you all. Uh, great to be with you again. I just have a little notice of my own. Uh, somebody lost some glasses on the stairs on the way in this morning. So if these are your glasses, anyone? Going, going. We'll sell them on eBay later. No? Okay, well, I'm going to leave them down here. If you have... You might want to be checking your bag right now for your glasses, because they were found on the stairs today. So, um, yes, good. Great, everyone well this morning? Yes. Good. It's uh, good to remember, isn't it, uh, the sacrifice that was made for our freedom. Um, really good to do that. And this morning we are remembering uh, the ultimate sacrifice for our ultimate freedom as we uh, look at the crucifixion of Christ. Um, but if you just remember, uh, also if you're new, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke for a little while, shall we say. Uh, we're in our third year of going through the Gospel of Luke. And I just want to say, actually, it's really important that we go through a book of the Bible. It's taken us a long time because we want to go through the Bible. We don't want to skip bits out. We don't want to pick and choose what we speak on, but actually we want to go through a book and see what it says to us and how we apply it to our lives. So uh, last time in Luke, we looked at the decision to crucify Jesus. Um, the punishment he went through before the crucifixion. I'm going to have to get these on today. My sight's getting worse. Um, uh, we remember we looked at just before uh, he's off to the crucifixion today, how he was scoured, how he was beaten, how he was mocked, and how Barabbas was set free. Do you remember that? We looked at Barabbas and also the complete illegality of the trials that Jesus went through. We looked at just how the guilty Barabbas was set free, and so we too, guilty before God, get, are set free by Jesus because of what he has done. And Jesus also, remember I looked at at the end how he died for the individual looking at Barabbas and how he died for all. And I looked at in Acts where we saw many repenting and turning to Jesus. Now this should really speak to us. This should drive us on to pray for individuals in our lives and also for the many. We should pray for our nation. We should pray for the nations. We should pray for Israel. We should pray for many Jewish people to come to Jesus. And today we are reading kind of part one of two of the climax of the story. We've journeyed through this together for three years as we get to this point, the centre point of history. Today we see a short walk to Calvary. However, we also know that it's been a long journey right from the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation. And before we start in Luke today, I'd just like to read some other scripture uh, from the Old Testament. I'm going to read Isaiah 53. It says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? But he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As of one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And by oppression and judgment he was taken away, as is for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked. And a rich man in his death, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, we shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many he shall divide the spoil and the strong because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is a prophetic picture of what we are looking at today. Written around 700 years before Jesus was born. Telling the people of what was to come. And then if we go even further back, right back to the beginning, the beginning of our Bible in Genesis 3, 15, this is God addressing Satan. After the fall, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel another prophetic word of what was to come thousands of years before Jesus came the promise of redemption that's what it is in Genesis right after the fall when sin entered into the world but it was planned it was planned in the infinite eternal mind of the Trinity when it was determined that God would create and redeem and would send his son to pay the price for that redemption. So today these steps to Skull Hill, the final steps, well they began way, 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 way back. So let's read our scripture today. It's Luke chapter 23, verse 26 to 49. Again, it's a quite a chunk of scripture, but it's also very good to read scripture publicly and together. Verse 26 says, and as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a, a great multitude of, pe of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, 
do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they, do, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hanged were railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. Do you, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when, I, when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And when the sunlight, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his lungs. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Well, I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us through these verses today. Father, I pray that you will illuminate yourself in our hearts. That we will draw closer to you, Lord. We will have a fresh revelation of you and that your offer of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, we as Christians, as we read this, need to consider the gospel. Think about the gospel, that it is not a past event in our life, the good news. That it's not just a door that we entered through into the Christian life, but the gospel is something that we're standing in right now. It's not a past event, but the thing that marks our life and makes our lives as Christians. We believe that we were actually sinners. Not, I was okay, I wasn't that bad, and kind of Jesus has come in and made my life a bit better. But we were separated from God by our sin. And Jesus died on the cross, absorbing the sin of the world and rising again three days later. And by accepting through faith alone, 
that Christ, what Christ has done, what we could not do for ourselves by paying for our sin before a right and just judge. We often hear the saying, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, what we've looked at today and what we're considering, we'll see that it's really only happened once. God alone is good. We've already read that the sinless, righteous, holy God, God incarnate, the image of the invisible God, hung on a cross to take the punishment that we deserve. So let's up, dig into this crucifixion scene and we can, what we can see from it, what we can learn from it today. I, I think actually we could do a whole series on the Passion Week. Maybe we'll extend Luke for another year. But for now, we'll see what we can do today. Again, as last time, we'll see that there are many characters in this section today, as well as the main character who is... A bit of participation here. Who is the main character? That's right, it's the right answer for every question in children's work. The right answer is? Very good, well done. A bit quiet today. We see today as well, these people, these characters fall into two categories. People who accept Jesus and people who reject Jesus. It's the same today. You either accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour and make him Lord of your life, or you reject him. He cannot and will not accept anything else. No half measures. No believing, well, he was a good teacher, wasn't he? A moral guide or an add-on, something to call upon in dark times. But one who we lay our lives down for, to follow, to obey. As disciples, if you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple follows yeah. its master. We're called to obey as well. Now, firstly, in verse 26 to 31, we see the first person who accepted Jesus. I believe he accepted Jesus. So we might not get it from a kind of surface level reading. A man travelling into Jerusalem for the Passover from far away. Luke makes it clear that he was not local. They seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country. Coming in from the country tells us he probably wasn't part of the rabble that the Jewish leaders gathered together for Jesus' crucifixion. He was from a place called Cyrene, which is located in Libya, northern Libya. And he's of some importance because he has a name. The soldiers didn't have a name. The religious leaders didn't have a name. But historian Josephus tells us Cyrene as well in North Africa was a centre of Jewish population at the time. A centre. So there were many Jews living in Cyrene. And in fact these Jews were devout and loyal. Uh, we would see them also in Acts on the day of Pentecost. Jews came from all over the world for the Passover, and many of them would have stayed for the Passover to 40 days later to the Pentecost festival. And we see in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, they go out and speak uh, in tongues and all these different languages, and it's likely they would have spoken the language of the Cyrenians, who had gathered there at Pentecost. So we shouldn't be surprised to find a, a Jewish man from Cyrene. 
And we know from Mark's Gospel that he's also named as the father of Rufus and Alexander. So it's likely when Mark was written around the same time as Romans, that he would have been known to the church in Rome. So he's explaining here, Simon is known to the church. Why does, so Matthew and Luke just introduce us to Simon, Mark introduces us to his two sons because they would have been known. Why would he say that unless the readers would have known who they are? So you're trying to sort out different Simons. Well, how would you do that unless there was a familiarity with this man? It's possible that the Gospel of Mark was written after Romans as well. So there's already a church in Rome and they know who these people are. And if you go to Romans 16, verse 13, you'll meet again one of the people in that church where Paul says, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, an elect man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. So Simon of Cyrene, Mark writes, and because he's writing in Rome, the leaders will know that father of Rufus and Alexander. Rufus is an elect man in the Lord. And so is his mother would be Simon's wife would be like a mother to the Apostle Paul. And this is amazing because here is a stranger plucked out of obscurity to carry Jesus' cross. We're unfamiliar with him. He's unfamiliar with Jesus. But when he goes all the way to the cross, nobody having done that would arrive at the cross and would leave. So he experiences the full reality of the crucifixion and somewhere in the process, he follows the story until he embraces the gospel of the Christ whose cross he carried. His wife becomes a believer and his sons are then known to the church. Rufus, his son, is an outstanding servant. And this family become critical to the unfolding and the expanding of God's kingdom. They actually have a ministry in the life of the Apostle Paul, and Simon's wife is like a mother to him. In Acts 11, verse 20, there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. So a man plucked from obscurity has huge kingdom impact. This should encourage us again to share our faith. We just don't know who we are gonna to talk to. What seed we could plant that could go on and have an amazing impact in the world and for the kingdom. Someone like Simon and his family who could be involved in significant missionary work, planting churches and making disciples. Secondly, in this section of 26 to 31, we see these weeping women respond to Jesus. And Jesus responds to them. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wounds that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So amazingly, Jesus turns to these women and doesn't offer them comfort. They're bemoaning his fate, but he heightens their pain with a prophetic warning 
about the fall of Jerusalem, which happens around 40 years from this moment. There will be innocent children among the victims. Jerusalem's looming destruction, that's what Jesus is directing his lament towards these women. He quotes Hosea chapter 10, verse 8, a prophecy that had been realised when, when the Assyrian army overran the northern kingdom of Israel. And Jerusalem will be destroyed with cruelty and violence. And this proverb, really, that he quotes probably means something like, if the Romans are doing this to me, who is innocent, how much worse will it be when they come for you, who are sinners? Or if God allows this to happen to his beloved son, the green tree, how much worse will it be for you, the dry? So he's saying, this is bad, but it's going to be worse for you. His heart is still for others as he's suffering and walking to the cross. Moving on in verse 32, we see more characters coming into the story. We see these criminals mocking the crowd and the soldiers. We see more words from Jesus in verse 34, these incredible words, these world-changing words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In this section here, we see Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He is in between two criminals. He is literally with the transgressors, like we read in Isaiah 53. He fulfills another in Psalm 22 when they're casting lots for his garments. And he shows us he's there hanging on the cross, what he is there for. He is dying for the forgiveness of many. And he knows that this request would fall upon the ears of a God who desires to be merciful and forgiving. It almost defies any further comments. But there's no clearer picture of the beauty of Christ as he hangs on the cross in agony. His concern was for the souls of his tormentors. Wow. Again, this should drive us on to pray. Pray for a great revival in this nation. Pray for a great revival amongst the Jewish people. Scripture talks about a great revival amongst the Jews before Jesus returns. So we should be praying for the nation. And we should remember his words of forgive. Forgive them. How easy do you find it to do? To forgive. What we mustn't do is reflect the world in how it deals with pain and difficulty, with revenge and unforgiveness, but we should let the grace of God affect our heart. Let these words from the cross move you into forgiving others. Nicky Gumbel says on the Alpha course, uh, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It does more damage to you, basically. Forgiveness is totally transformational. Jesus even says at the end of the Lord's Prayer, for if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. We, don't, we always miss that bit out at the end of the Lord's Prayer, don't we? So how are you doing? 
with forgiveness. Before I was a, a Christian, people would offend if people would offend me or upset me. I would hold a grudge against them. How are you doing? Maybe you can't forgive yourself for things that have happened to you in your life or things that you've done or thought or said. Again, this is something that I really struggled with because I've done lots of bad things. How are you doing with that? But once you've experienced God's forgiveness, since God has forgiven you, you have to forgive yourself. And we forgive others because we have been forgiven much. Forgiveness is a choice, but it's not an option in the Christian life. We might think it's easy to forgive until we actually have someone that we really need to forgive. It's very easy to sweep things under the carpet. But it's true what they say, the first to apologise is the bravest, the first to forgive is the strongest, and the first to forget is the happiest. The first to apologise is the bravest, the first to forgive is the strongest, and the first to forget is the happiest. That's a great rule of thumb for the Christian life. That's a great rule for any relationship, for any marriage. Be the first to apologise. Be the first to forgive. Be the first to forget. And so with this in mind, the forgiving Christ on the cross who has forgiven you, how are you doing? Maybe God is speaking to you right now about someone that you need to release, not hold a grudge against anymore. It does something to you inside twists you, makes you bitter. God wants to come and release you from this bitterness. Let him be the judge. Let him seek justice. Let him be angrier about what needs to be angry about. Release it all to the judge who is just. Moving on, there, this, there continues this terrible mocking of Jesus with a with a sign above his head that was supposed to be a mockery of him, but was actually true. It says, verse 38, there was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. This sign was meant to be ironic. A king stripped and executed in public view had obviously lost his kingdom forever. But Jesus, who turns the world upside down, was just coming into his kingdom. His death and resurrection would strike the blow to Satan's rule and establish Christ's eternal authority over the earth. Few people reading the sign that afternoon understood its real meaning, but it is absolutely true. All was not lost. Jesus is the king of the Jews, he's the king of the Gentiles, and he's the king of the whole universe. And either side of Jesus were these two criminals who both responded in different ways. So the king of the universe was next to them. And in this short discourse we see between the two criminals, 
And we see this amazing promise from Jesus to the criminal is that he will be in paradise with Jesus. That's not the, the promise isn't that he'll be in paradise. The promise is he'll be in paradise with Jesus. And paradise is being with Jesus, the hope of heaven. He is the promise. He is the reward. Mm -hmm. One thief wants Jesus to help him out. Save yourself and us. Basically, get me off this cross. The other one just wants Jesus. Verse 42 says, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus meets his faith with this precious promise. He said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The thing that makes paradise so wonderful is the presence of Jesus. Not prior, primarily paradise because there are lots of fun things to do, or not paradise because problems that plague us here on earth are behind us. It's paradise because you will be with Jesus. Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the reward. And isn't that the difference between these two thieves? The first wants Jesus for what he can do for him. Get me off this cross, basically. The second one just wants Jesus. And a, another question for you, second question of the morning. Ask yourself, would you be happy in heaven, free from suffering and sadness, if Jesus was not there? What pleasures are enough that you could be satisfied with them for all eternity? Our highest hope and joy is being with Jesus and nothing should or could compare. Verse 44, midday comes, it becomes dark for about three hours. The heavens are responding and testifying to the nature of the hour. In the Old Testament, darkness would often indicate judgment. And here is God signalling his presence. The sun is nowhere to be found. The real hour of darkness has come. The fact that Jesus had to die is a dark moment in history, but sin is a dark reality in our world. But alongside this darkness, we see the opening up of access to God. This prophetic sign, the ripping of the temple curtain, shows that no barrier exists between God and humanity. He's not to be contained in a temple anymore, in the Holy of Holies. But by turning to God through Jesus, you have access to God. The three hours of darkness were hugely significant. Jesus is swallowing up darkness. It was the apparent victory of evil. But at a cross, Jesus was experiencing the fierce judgment of God the Father against sin. In this awful darkness, the Father placed our sin on Jesus. All the wrath, the punishment that we deserve was concentrated on him. And this accounted to him in these three hours, the signal of this darkness. Don't you just see Isaiah 
53, woven all the way through this. And theologically, the cross provides the atonement that forgives sin. Jesus offers himself here in service to others, and he prays for the forgiveness of his enemies, and he even accepts one of the criminals right next to him into his kingdom. He represents us as he unjustly bears the penalty of our sin in love. And the most important consideration we can give to the cross is to embrace it with a responsive heart, with humility, like Chris was talking about. You accept the gospel of grace, but you need humility. And the only action that does the cross of Jesus Christ justice is to welcome it with all-embracing faith. As Jesus breathes his last breath, the suffering servant, it looks like ultimate defeat, but instead three days later, it was ultimate victory as he rose again, conquering sin and death. He paid the price so that you don't have to. He paid the price. He was redeeming humanity right from the back, the beginning of time, right back, way back. Where mankind went its own way, it looked like defeat. But really, his heel was bruised as he crushed the head of Satan and sin at the cross. Where are you? Where are you? Have you chosen to walk with Christ? Have you by faith accepted him and chosen to follow him? Or is he an add-on to all the other important things in your life? Is he preeminent? Or is he prominent? Maybe you're a bystander like Simon the Cyrene. That part of the story tells us we don't always get to choose our cross-bearing moment. I'll serve when I'm ready. I'll get involved when I'm ready. But maybe right now Jesus is grabbing your attention. Either for the first time Or maybe he's saying, stop standing on the sidelines and get stuck in and be my disciple. He's calling you into a new kingdom where one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we join as Christians with the earth, groaning with all creation, waiting for that moment. But you get a slice of it right now. We get a deposit of the Holy Spirit when we accept by faith Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. There were three crosses on that hill and Jesus was the man in the middle. God was in Christ, the man in the middle, reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ, the middle man, not imputing violence onto a hardened criminal. God was in Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, the one who was tortured, the one who was crucified. The middle man gave himself as a ransom for all. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And today, why don't we respond like the soldier, where he says, certainly this man is innocent. Surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man has died for you and he's calling you into his kingdom. Why don't we respond to this? You'll notice we've got bread and wine out as we give thanks for 
Jesus, as we give thanks for what he has done today. I'm just going to encourage you. Why don't you go and get uh, your bread and wine. Um, just a little note that the, if you want grape juice, they are in the coloured cups. And there is gluten-free bread at the back. So I just encourage you, why don't you go and grab some bread and wine. And we're going to give thanks and remember what he's done. When Jesus gathered with his disciples at the, the Lord's Supper before this moment. He took bread and he, took, he asked them to do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread as a symbol of his body being broken for us. Why don't we take the bread and say, thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken for us. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So let me drink the wine. I'll ask the band to come back up as we just respond to this moment. Jesus, we thank you so much for your body that was broken for us as we've learned over these last weeks of the terrible suffering and punishment that you went through, your body was literally broken for us. Thank you that you have, through the cross, through your blood being shed, you have redeemed all of humanity, all that choose to come to you. And Father, I just pray now, will you start to speak to us, Lord, uh, if there are those that we are struggling to forgive will you come and speak to us right now thank you Lord will you just take a moment say Lord is there any bitterness in my heart is there any unforgiveness why don't you just thank him for how much he's forgiven you thank you Jesus I want mercy I want grace that you have shown us. Stir our hearts, Lord. Stir our affections for you, our King and our Lord. Have your way today. And maybe you are like Simon the Cyrene who is just standing on the sideline right now, not knowing who this Jesus is. Well, you can come to him today. He died for you. He died so that you could know freedom. If you want to come to Jesus for the first time, you can just say this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, thank you that you died for me on the cross taking all my sin and my shame I repent now of my life up until this moment and I turn to you will you please now come into my life and by the help of your Holy Spirit, help 
and follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand? Let's respond to what we've heard this morning as we sing one last song of praise and worship. And if you feel God has been speaking to you this morning about forgiveness, or if you've come, or you want to come and ask Jesus into your life, there'll be some people over to my right who'll be really willing to pray for you this morning. Let's worship.
you again, Lord, for the price that you paid for our freedom so that we could be with you in paradise. Oh, Jesus, come and let that reality stir up in our hearts afresh this morning that we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are loved by God. You are so good, Jesus. We give it all to you today. Say, have your way. Amen. Amen. Amen.